Hold that thing up and hold it above your head. Come over here in the middle, in between them. We've, uh, I know we've already used this scripture there a couple nights ago. I used it, and then James used it. But uh, the Lord showed me a little something different in it this week. Uh, we need each other. That's, a, that's the message. It's on my heart this morning is we need each other. We can't do it alone. And uh, I'll be in Exodus 17 if you want to turn there. But uh, we can't do it on our own. I can't get through this thing on my own. We went to Jamie's house on Tuesday, and all that everybody talked about was we need each other. And then we come to church on Wednesday, and all everybody talked about was we need each other. And I thought, well, you know, it's easy for me as a Christian to, to get the mindset that I've got God, and that's all I need, and I can do it on my own. But that's not so. That's not the way he set up the church. He set up the church for a reason. He set it up because we do need each other. We're the body of Christ, fitly joined together. We're all one. We're, we need each other. I'm, if I'm the shoulder and you're the elbow, your elbow don't work without my shoulder. Your arm don't work without each other. We've got to be teamed up together. And uh, this morning, if you're here and you need something from God, whatever it may be, whether you need to be saved, whether you need to rededicate, whether you just need a healing, or maybe you've got an unclean spirit, or I don't know, I don't know. But if you need something from God, we're here for that. Amen. And we're all here for that. We're all here for each other. That's the reason that we're here. Um, you ain't got to stand this morning. If you found your place, say amen. 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 Let's pray real quick before we start. Father, we love you, God. I praise you and thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. God, thank you for always being there, God. Every time I call on you, you're always there, God. Lord, I thank you for our church, God. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be raised up in a place that's this great, God. This is, uh, in my opinion, the greatest place on earth, God. There's nowhere else that I'd rather be this morning than right here with you people. God, I pray that you'd help us, God, with the message that you put on our heart, God. I believe that you put it there. God, I pray that you'd help us to get it across, God, in the way that you've given it to us, God. I, I'm nothing, God. I'm feeble, God. You know who I am, God. You know that I'm, I'm nervous I'm scared to death God but I pray to God that you'd just get it out in a way that you'd be pleased with Lord I love you and I praise you God I pray if there's one here lost this morning God that you'd save our soul God deal with our heart God show them that they need to be born again God that we can't go to heaven unless we've been saved God Lord I thank you for all that you've done for us God in Jesus name Amen, amen. Bless you, Lord. <clears throat> now listen when you get tired you're going to get tired he picked out, uh, I sent him upstairs at the fellowship hall to pick out a rod, and I told him he's going to be holding it. He picked out a plastic one. <laughs> Try not to get tired, but when you get tired, sit down. All right, now don't, don't be a he-man. I know how you are. About 15 minutes in, something, just sit down. Let him help you. And when he sits down, help him hold his arms up. All right? Amen. Uh, before, we, before we begin reading, I've, uh, like I said, I, I had the message on my heart all all week pretty much and I've been back through Exodus and I've read through Exodus and uh, I read back through where the, the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt and uh, they, they was bound. They was bound up in Egypt and I got to reading through it and I thought man I, I never really realized what a great miracle that God performed getting them out of Egypt and you know we've all heard the story Growing up, if you've grew up in church, and most of us, even if we hadn't, we've heard the story of how that Moses went in and he uh, went to the Pharaoh and he said that the Lord's told me to let my people go. And Pharaoh said no. Basically, he said, no, I ain't letting your people go. And then the Lord hardened his heart because he sinned against him. Because he made the choice not to let him go, the Lord hardened his heart. And time and time again... Uh, Moses went in to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. He said, let my people go. The Lord's told me to come and tell you this. And uh, I got to reading, studying on that. And it said that they had been there probably 250 years, give or take. Somewhere in that area. They had been in bondage for 250 years. So these people, that's all they really knew. All they really knew was being in bondage. All they really knew was being in bondage to the Pharaoh, being in bondage in uh, Egypt and serving the Egyptians and serving the Pharaoh and they gave them the food that they ate. That's all that they knew. They didn't really know how to fend for themselves. They didn't really know how to live without being in bondage. And I got to thinking on that and I thought that's the way we are before we get born again. We don't really know how to live. We don't really know how to fend for ourselves. We don't really know what it is to be free. They didn't understand what it was to be free because all they had ever been was in captivity. We won't go back and read it all because it's, uh, it starts uh, chapter 12, I think, all the way up to here. 
But all they knew was captivity. And if you've never been born again, if you've never truly surrendered your life to God, all you know is captivity. You may not even realize that you're in captivity. I believe that the, the, the children of Israel probably didn't really understand the type of captivity that they was under. All they could do was what the Egyptians allowed them to do. All they did was make bricks every day, pretty much. They just made bricks. But I got to reading and studying on it, and I, in my mind, when I picture... When they're coming across the Red Sea and all these Israelites, I've always pictured a few thousand. That's just how my mind works. That's what I think. But I got to studying into it and it said that there was 600,000 on foot. Men on foot. That's just the fighting men. The fighting men was between the ages of 20 and 50. So there was 600,000 that was between the ages of 20 and 50. So if there was 600,000 of them, you can imagine that there's probably 600,000 women, and then there's probably 600,000 or more children, and then those that are a little bit older than 50, and those that are in their teenage years. But I read that several commentaries, and they said that there was probably between 2 to 3 million. So 2.5 million people. That's how many the, the Egyptians that the Pharaoh had in bondage serving him. Two and a half million people. Just imagine that. Imagine two and a half million people that couldn't overthrow the government. Two and a half million people that was just in bondage and didn't know how to get out. And then here come Moses. And then here come Moses. Here comes somebody that was going to set them free. That Somebody that was going to follow the Lord. That was going to follow what the Lord had told him to do. And get them out of bondage. And I'm sure they were afraid. They didn't believe that they could live on their own. They didn't believe that they could stand on their own. And most of us, before we get saved, we don't think we'll be able to do it. I've heard testimonies all through the house that we didn't think that we could ever live right. We didn't think that we could ever live it. That we didn't get saved before we did because we never thought we could live it. But if God does it, if God is the one that sets you free, then you can live it. Then you can live a life that will be pleasing to Him. Hey, He'll make the way that you can. He'll provide for you. And I, I won't go through them all, but we all know the plagues. There was ten plagues that He put on Egypt and the Egyptians so that, he would, uh, so that Pharaoh would finally turn them loose and set them free. And, you know, all these plagues wasn't just all on the Egyptians. I've always imagined it in my mind that they just affected the Egyptians. But if you really read it, the first three probably affected everyone. They were God's chosen people. The Israelites was, they represent the Old Testament. The children of Israel represent the church. And they still had to go through some stuff. They still had to go through some tribulation. Some trials, some plagues, some things affected them. When they turned the river to blood, it said that all the cups of wood and all the metal cups was turned the blood. The water was turned to blood. That's all of it. That's all the water was turned to blood. They said that the frogs invaded everything. So the Lord told Moses to go and tell the Pharaoh that, hey, we're going to send frogs. He'd done seen that he was go- that he had turned to a uh, Water to blood. But now he said, listen, we're going to send frogs. And Pharaoh said no. When Pharaoh said no, here come the frogs. And it was frogs everywhere. And that probably affected the uh, children of Israel also. And then there was lice. Then he sent the lice because he wouldn't let them go. And then he sent the flies. Uh, They invaded the Egyptians. They invaded everything. And the Bible tells us that that only affected the Egyptians. Now there are certain things that affected everybody and there was a few here that just affected the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. But then there was the death of the livestock. It said that all the, the livestock was dying but none of the Egyptians' livestock was dying. This is huge. When I wrap my mind around it, it's easy to sit and think about just what, what the Lord done here and it really not register. This ain't a fairy tale. This ain't just a myth. This is not just an example that the Lord put in the Bible that's not a real thing. He left it for an example for us, but this really did happen. This really did happen. There was two and a half million of God's children, of God's people that was bound in Egypt, and he began sending these plagues. And then it said that he sent bulls, and all the Egyptians and their livestock had bulls on them. All this, and the Pharaoh still wouldn't let them go. Hey, the devil don't want to let you go. The enemy don't want to let you go. And he'll send in, he'll do anything that he can to hold on to you. The Lord loves you and the Lord wants you to be free. Even once you've been free, the devil still wants you. He's still after you. But the Lord wants you to be free and he'll do anything he can do to keep a hold of you. And then it said that he sent hell and it rained fire and hell 
I always just thought it was hell, but it was fire also. Fire and hell was falling from the sky. Just imagine if you went outside this morning and hell and fire is falling from the sky. I can't imagine that, but this really happened. This was a real thing. This was a miracle from God. This was a miracle. The whole deal was a major miracle from God. And then there was locusts that covered the ground and they ate all the green. They ate everything. There was no more crops. So if there was no more crops, then apparently the Israelites didn't have nothing to eat either. But they didn't see it as, well, the Israelites did. They complained, but they was having to go through some stuff so that the Lord might be able to set them free. They, they didn't see it as the Lord was using this and that the Lord still had it under control. But sometimes we have to go through some stuff so that the Lord can set us free. So that the Lord can show us something. So that He can show us that He's in all power. But everybody had to go through this. And then there was total darkness in the land. And it said, except in the houses of Israel there was light. Now how did that happen? How did everybody's lights go out? They didn't have no light. And they probably had a way to make fire. But it said there wasn't no light. So they didn't have no fire except in the houses of Israel. That was the only place they was locked. And then it said, uh, we all know the story of the Passover. They had to put the blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Both doorposts. And he was going to, the Lord was going to come through and he was going to kill all the firstborn. And if they didn't have the blood on the doorpost, they was going to be killed. So if there was two and a half million Israelites, how many Egyptians were there? I don't know, it don't tell us, but there must have been a lot of people. I never in my mind, I don't think about it back in the Bible days, that there was this amount of people, that there was this amount of stuff, how things really were. But this was a major, major miracle from God. And then, after the Passover, the Pharaoh finally says, get out of here, leave, leave, we don't want no more of this, leave, get out of here. And then they, we all know the story, they all leave, and the Lord leads them down toward the Red Sea, and they get up to the Red Sea, and then here comes the Egyptians. Pharaoh's done told his armies, I think it said 600 chariots, to, to chase them and go get them. He said, why have we done this? Why did we let them go? We need to go get them back. That's the way Satan does to us. Once we get free, as soon as we get free, Satan comes after us. And he says, I want them back. Why did I let them go? I want them back. He didn't have no choice in the matter. When the Lord says it's done, it's done. And the Lord said that they was free and they was going to be free. But the, but the Satan was after them. Pharaoh was after them. And here they have come up to the Red Sea. And can you imagine two to three million people? Two to three million people standing next to the Red Sea. Wow. How did they all even get there at the same time? And then their cattle and livestock and all this stuff, they also took with them, the Bible says. So if there's cattle and livestock for all these households and all this stuff, how did they even get there? How, I can't imagine. It's a miracle in itself that they could get to the side of the Red Sea. That's a miracle within itself. But then they get there and they say, Now what? Are we just going to die? You've brought us out here to die. There wasn't no graves back in Egypt, so now you've brought us out here to die. And the Lord tells Moses to hold up his rod, and he parts the Red Sea. And it said that there was a, a wall of water on both sides. So this thing was deep. It wasn't shallow. This thing was deep where they was at. It was deep waters, and it said they was on dry ground. There wasn't even no mud. It said dry ground. If there was mud, it would have told us they had mud on their shoes. But I don't think they even had any mud. They walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on both sides of them. What a miracle. What a miracle. It's a miracle in the, in the Bible when Jesus uh, healed a blind man or when he made the lame to walk. But this was two and a half million people that he just delivered out of the hands of Pharaoh. Out of the land of Egypt, he just delivered his people. Two and a half million of them. I got to thinking on how big of a miracle that is. And I thought, well, that's probably the biggest miracle in the Bible. That's probably where they had done the biggest miracle that he'd ever done. And then I thought, no. No, it's not. No, it ain't. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His love, for great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved. That's the biggest miracle He's ever done. I was dead. 
I was dying. I was condemned because I hadn't believed on the name of the Lord. I was dying and I was on my way to hell. I was bound by the chains of the world and there was no way that I could get free. I was a dead man. I was a dead man. There was no way that I could get free. I was on my way to hell not by my choice, not by anything that I had done, but I was bound by sin because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden. It condemned me to death. And I was on my way to hell. And I was on my way to hell and the Lord of heaven, the God of gods, the great I am, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that same one that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, spoke to my heart. Come down and talk to me. Just like we said last week, he called out to me and said, friend. He said, friend, that's the greatest miracle that's ever happened. That he would die for me and then he would bring me to life. That he would quicken me and give me life. I never knew life before I got saved. He said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I didn't even know what life was. I was dead. I was dead. And this morning, if you're lost, you're dead. Spiritually, you're dead. You don't even understand what it means to be free. You don't understand what it means to have life and to have it more abundantly. I've got the best life. I'm telling you, my life I never could have dreamed that the Lord would give me the life He's given me. Oh, me. This is the best thing I've ever felt. The quickening, the spirit, the life that is put down on the inside. That's the greatest miracle. That's the greatest miracle. That He could save someone. Somebody like me. Somebody that he knew was going to turn to drugs. That he knew was going to turn to alcohol. That he knew was going to turn to the sin, the sex, all the things of the world. But yet he still saved me. But yet he still saved me. And then again he delivered me out of it. When I went back and I put myself in bondage, he delivered me out of it again. He set me free. All I had to do was call on His name. All I had to do was repent and believe. All I had to do was accept the free gift of salvation. It's a free gift. He gives it to us freely. Wow. Free of charge. He done paid the price. He lived the life I couldn't live. Paid the debt that I owed and couldn't pay. And died the death that I deserved. I deserved that death. And you deserved that death. But He paid for it. He paid for it to set us free. So the weak could be with him one day. I don't have to go to hell. I was bound for hell. I was going to spend eternity in hell. Not because I had done anything wrong, but because I was a sinner. Because I was separated from God. And he saved my soul. What a miracle. That's the greatest miracle. And you know, that same miracle that he done for me and he done for Papa in 1968 and as uh, Shannon was talking, done in 78 for Butch and done in 98 for Shannon and done in 97 for me, he can do that same miracle today. That same God that was with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that same God that was here with Moses and the Israelites, that same God that was with the Hebrew boys when they was going into fire, that same one that hung on an old rugged cross and died for me and you is here today. Is here today and wants to save somebody. Wants to change somebody's life forever. What a miracle. What a miracle. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together. Listen here. I know I didn't make y'all turn here, but this is Ephesians 2, 6, if you want to look at it later. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I know one day I'm going to go to heaven. I know that. If I'll stay with the Lord and I'll stick with the Lord, one day I'm going to get to go to heaven. And I'm going to get to sit up there with Him where it's nothing but glory and shouting and praising His name for eternity. I know that. But it don't say that I have to wait till then. It don't say I just said and hath made us. Up and hath raised us up together. I died. Spiritually the old man is gone. And hath raised me up now. Now I have been uh, raised up. And made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You want to know why I love church so much? Why I love coming in the house of God so much? Because when I come in here the world goes away. When I come in here I don't have to think about work. 
When I come in here, I don't have to think about cancer. When I come in here, I don't have to think about sickness or death or the needs of this world or my flesh. I get to sit in heavenly places. Every now and then, a breeze from the Lord will blow through and He meets with His people. Thank God that He still meets with His people. Thank God that I can still feel His presence every now and then. And the breeze will blow through and I get to sit in heavenly places. There's nothing like feeling the power of God and knowing that you've been trying to serve Him and He comes by and He just pats you on the back and He says, friend, I love you, friend. Boy, I'm so glad that you're mine. What more is there? There's nothing greater than serving God. There's nothing better than feeling the presence of God and knowing that my sins are gone. They're washed away, never to be remembered again, casting the sin of forgetfulness, gone. I don't have to worry about them no more. They're gone. All i got to do is serve Him. Man, it's a great life. Man, it's a big miracle. Thank God I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved. I never would have dreamed 10 years ago I'd be standing before you all this morning. Never would have dreamed it. Not worthy. Not worthy at all. Just a drug addict. That's what it was. Just a drug addict. Bound for hell. Just lost. Just out in sin. Had no hope. I was dying. I'd known the Lord and turned away and I was dying on the inside. But thank God this morning I get to sit in heavenly places. I get to feel the presence of the Lord. I get to serve Him. It's an honor to serve Him. I didn't have to come to church. I wanted to. There's nowhere else I wanted to be. He quickened me. He brought me to life and made me want to be here. Nowhere else I'd rather be than here this morning. (coughs) And hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Well, there's some riches. There's some riches down the line that I've got to see. And I've got to feel at times that I thought there ain't no way out. And we've all seen it here with Papa. Look at the riches. This is the riches. The riches, the glory, the grace. When trouble comes, there's grace. Time and time again, most people would have died, but the Lord seen fit to keep them alive. Over and over again, the Lord has seen fit to keep them alive. That's them riches. That's them riches. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, listen here, it is the gift of God. If I come to, if I come up here and I give you a gift, what do you do? You either accept it or you deny it. You either take it or you don't. That's the same thing with salvation. You accept that gift or you deny it. And it's up to you. If you want it, it's free. If you want salvation this morning, all you got to do is repent and believe. That's the gift. Repent and believe on the name of Jesus. Believe. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sin-free life. And he died on the cross for your sin. And he'll change your life. And he can change your life. Let's get back up here where we're supposed to be. Exodus 17. Thank God I'm saved. I feel like Lee Cope, but I'm sweated on my Bible. <laughs> I know we brought some of this out at the, the prayer service there for Papa, but this is where the Lord has directed our heart. So this is where we're going to go. <clears throat> I'm going to read, uh, well, let's read right there. 1635, I left that part out. And the children of Israel did eat manna for 40 years until they came to the land and inhabited, they did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. So even after the Lord had delivered them, even after he brought them out of Egypt, even after they had crossed the Red Sea and, and then the Lord put the waters back on top of the armies of the Pharaoh and killed all their armies, even after that, for 40 years they was in the wilderness, but God just rained bread, rained manna. It caused it, uh, let's see, it caused it wafers made with honey. Something sweet, something good, something to sustain them. He just rained it out of the sky. And the only thing that they had to do to survive was go out and gather it up. Just go out and gather it up and have faith that he was going to give them something the next day. That's the only thing that they had to do was just gather it up. So the Lord sustained them. Chapter 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. 
Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? I've got five points here and I'll get out of the way. But the first point I want to make here. I, they, it said that they began to chide with Moses. That meant that they began to voice their displeasure. So the Lord has brought them out of Egypt. He's brought them out into the wilderness. And in another place it said that they had went three days without water. And then the Lord brought them to water. And it was bitter water. And he turned the bitter water into sweet water. So he's already took care of them in every way. They never, I can't find a place that they went over three days and didn't have water. And didn't have something to sustain them. And the Lord was raining manna down out of heaven every day. All they had to do was go out and get it. And on Saturday they had to gather up enough. Or on the sixth day had to gather up enough to uh, have on the Sabbath day. So that they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath day. But now here they've come and they've, they've got down to this place of Rephidim. Which is a place of rest. That's what Rephidim stands for. That's the meaning of the word Rephidim is a place of rest. So they've got down here and they've got to this place of rest. And they've pitched up camp. I've just made camp here, and it said, and there was, uh, there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses. So then they, they seen that they didn't have no water, and even though God has took care of them time and time again, even though that God has delivered them from Egypt and done all these mighty things, and they've seen one of the biggest miracles ever, they've seen a massive miracle. God has proved himself. Time and time again. And he's proved himself to me. He proved himself to me when he delivered me out of Egypt. He delivered me out of bondage. He proved himself. And then on down the line, I got some more than riches. And some of that manna coming out of heaven, he's proved himself to me. But I, the first point that I've got here is these, these uh, children of Israel, they must have been Baptist. They must have been Baptists because here they have got all these blessings from God and God has took care of them on every side. And then when just a little bit of trouble comes... They go to complaining. They go to complaining. They go to complaining to the leader. They go to complaining to the one that had trusted in God and led them out of the place where they were. You know, when we get born again, the only reason we get born again is because somebody preached the word. You may have not been sitting in a church when you got saved, but somewhere down the line, somebody had preached the word, and you had either heard it or somebody had been preached to, and you had heard it from them. That's how you get saved is hearing the word, the seed being planted. So the only reason that they had got out of the wilderness was because Moses had listened to the Lord and brought the message from the Lord and put their faith in the Lord. That's the only way they got out because the children of Israel didn't have a whole lot of faith. The faith of Moses is the reason they got out. The faith that Moses had is the reason this happened the way it did. But then they get out here and they go to complaining. That's just like Baptist. That's just like Baptist. You can draw up if you want to. But that's just like Baptist. I've told you before, I'm a church man. I've grew up in church my whole life. I've been in church all but about four or five years there my entire life. And I've grew up around leadership in the church. Both my grandpas are pastors. My daddy's a deacon. That don't make me nothing. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I've seen the complaints. I've seen the chiding. I've seen the murmuring that's come up against the ones that's just trying to serve God. That's just trying to serve God. I ain't got nothing to complain about. And if you've been set free, you ain't got nothing to complain about. Don't complain. Get behind each other. We need each other. We need each other. Every one of us has got a job to do. Whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a singer or a prayer or a shouter or a testifier, whatever you are, you're needed. And your job is needed. Stop complaining and get on board with the Lord. Get back to where we need to be. We need to be pushing forward because we need each other. It's not. This ain't a place where we come fight against each other. We're not here to fight against each other. We're here to love each other and to help each other. Just like these boys are doing here. I'm sure he's getting tired. I don't know how long I've been talking, but I'm sure he's getting tired even though it's plastic. But that's hard. That's hard to hold your hands up. But we need each other. Um, that girl that uh, Sammy Lawson was requesting prayer for, she's got cancer. I think it was stage four cancer. She's pregnant, getting ready to deliver the baby Monday. The baby's got problems, all kinds of problems, things going wrong in her life. And she told Sammy that um, the only thing that she had ever heard of church or the only thing that she had ever heard of Jesus was hate, was hate. That's because we're murmuring against each other. That's because we're coming against each other. That's because when we get delivered, we get spoiled. 
We get delivered out of bondage. We get set free. Then we get sparred by the blessings of God just as the Israelites have done here. And then we go to murmuring against the leadership. And that's what the lost and dying world is seeing. They're not seeing the love of Jesus. They're seeing complaints. They're seeing hate. Don't get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at this preacher. Get on board with the Lord and show the world the love of Jesus. They need to see the love. I believe that Sammy, I believe the Lord put Sammy in that girl's life to show her some love. I do, because she may be dying. I couldn't imagine being nine, eight, nine months pregnant, getting ready to deliver a baby with stage four cancer, and the baby got uh, uh, heart problems. Yeah, got heart problems, going to have to have surgery, may die as soon as it comes out, and to think that the Lord hates her, to think that the church hates her and the people hate her. We need each other. Not only does the church need each other, but the world needs the church. And the world needs the church to be united. They need the church to be one. Don't be Baptist. We'll just put it that way. Don't be Baptist. I'm not Baptist. I believe in the Lord. I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Word of God. We'll read verse 2 again. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? I'm going to flip back a page here and read this. Uh, chapter 16, verse 8 says, And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you, give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. When we murmur against each other in the church, when we murmur against what the preacher said, and I've done it before. I beat Rose Preacher on the way home. I went on my way home. I said, I can't believe a preacher done that. I can't believe a preacher said that. He ought not done that. This ought to have been done this way. We ought not do this in the church. We need to do it this way. That ain't helping nobody. And you're not murmuring against the people. You're murmuring against God. That's what the Bible says. You're murmuring against God. If you're part of the body of Christ, you're murmuring against yourself. Against yourself. Get on board with the Lord. Get on board with what God wants us to do. And uplift His name. We need each other. Not to fight against each other. But we need each other. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said. Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt. To kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord saying. What shall I do? Unto this people, they be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord, verse 5, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take thine hand, and go. And behold, I will stand before thee, therefore upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Moriah, Meribah, because the children, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, It is the Lord among us or not. So even though they had been complaining against the Lord, even though they hadn't really put their faith that he was going to take care of it and they was going in the wrong direction, the Lord still provided for them. The Lord still showed them proof that he was God. You know, that's the reason that he went through all those plagues and all those things with the Pharaoh was so that he could show the children of Israel and so that he could show Egypt and so that he could show the Pharaoh that he was God. He could have just delivered them right out, but they had to go through all this stuff and endure through all these things to prove that he was God. That's why he was doing it, to prove that he was, to prove his deity, to prove that he was in all power and he was in all control. And that's what he's done here. He showed them again that he still loves them like he does us. He still loves us. He, I don't know where you're at today, but he still loves you. And he's holding out his hand saying, friend. And he's holding out his hand saying that if you want a drink of water, if you want a drink of the living water, you can have it. You can have it. <clears throat> Verse 8. Then came Amalek. And fought with Israel in Rephidim. We've already said there that that Rephidim is a place of rest. And Amalek is the enemy of God. That's what Amalek is in the Bible. The Amalekites or Amalek is the enemy of God. So point number two there is there's no time for rest. 
There's no time for rest. So here the children of Israel have. They've got delivered out of Egypt and they've got down in the desert and they got to rest. And when they got to rest, they got to complaining. If you're doing something for the Lord, you ain't got time to rest. You won't be complaining. If you're working for the Lord and you're telling somebody about Jesus, you won't have time to complain to the leaders. You'll be out there doing God's work. But here they are. Now they've came to the place of rest and they're just sitting here and here comes the enemy. Here comes the enemy of God. Whenever we think that we've got to a place that we can just sit back and rest, that's when the enemy of God's coming. That's when Satan is going to come and attack you. That's when your flesh is going to start screaming out to you to draw you away of your own lust. We don't have time to rest. There is no time to rest. If you get to resting, that's when the enemy's going to attack. If you want to keep the enemy off your back, then you're going to have to keep fighting. You're going to have to keep going. You're going to have to keep moving forward. There is no sitting still. I've said this time and time again. Either you're moving forward for the Lord or you're moving backwards. There is no in between. There's no sitting still. There's no time to take a break. There's no time for rest. If you rest, the enemy's going to attack. The enemy's going to come after you. And his job is to steal and to kill and destroy. Let's see. I wrote the verse down somewhere. John 10, 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So if the thief cometh not, but to steal, kill, and destroy, the thief can't steal something that already belongs to him. So who has he came to steal? Who has he came to kill? Us. He's come after us. That's who He wants to steal. That's who He wants to kill. And if you sit back and you rest, the enemy of God is going to come and attack. I read in another place that Amalek can be interpreted as people that lick blood. People that lick blood. That's what Amalekites, the enemy of God, people that lick blood. Satan is after the ones with the blood. He's not after his own. If you're lost, the reason you're not fighting with Satan is because you're lost. If you're not in a battle against Satan and against your flesh, it's because you're not saved. It's because you've never been freed from down in Egypt. You're still bound. You're still in bondage. But when you've been born again, when you've been saved, then he's after the ones with the blood. He's coming to steal you. But thank God he can't steal me unless I give him place. Unless I stop what I'm doing and decide to take a break. There is no place to take break. We've got to keep pushing on for God because the enemy's coming and he wants to steal you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy everything good that's in your life. Terry King is a prime example. Satan has tried to destroy his testimony. Satan has tried to make him quit over and over. And if you had quit, your testimony's ruined. That's the thief. That's Satan. That's the enemy of God. And he's after you because you've got the blood. He's after you because you get to sit in heavenly places. Because you know what it is to be born again. And if you're born again, be prepared because He's coming. I told him in Sunday school, I've learned a new thing about preaching. Saturdays are terrible. Saturdays are terrible with my mind. The Lord gave me this message on Monday and I knew that He did. And He dealt with me with it all week long. And then yesterday, the, Lord, the Satan told me I ain't called to preach. You can't preach that message. You can't stand before them people. You might as well just tell them you're done and just quit. I'm telling you, I've been fired up all week until Saturday and Satan come to mess with my mind. He tried to steal the anointing of God from my life. And if I had quit and I'd sat down to take a break, if I'd sat back to just take a rest, I would have let him have it. But we got to push forward. There's no time to rest. If you've got family on their way to hell and you're sitting back on a break, they're going to end up in hell. It's time that we stand up for God and push forward. If the Lord has told you to do something and you've not done it, that's sitting still. If the Lord's told you to step up and teach a Sunday school class, you better step up and teach a Sunday school class. Because the devil's after you. The enemy's after you. And if you're sitting back taking a break, he's going to attack you. He's going to attack you. If he's told you to stand up and testify and you've never testified, you better testify. You better do what God's told you to do because the enemy wants to attack you. He's the thief. He's the enemy of God. He's after those with the blood. That's who he's after. He ain't after his own. If he was after his own, he wouldn't be a thief. How would he be a thief if he was after his own? He's after us. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men. And go out and fight with Amalek 
Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to, up to the top of the hill. Third point I got is we need some men to fight. We need some men to fight. Moses was old. When he first started walking with the Lord, he was 80 years old. And Aaron was 84, I believe. <clears throat> but they were older men. They couldn't go out and fight. We already established that the fighting age was between 20 and 50. So if the fighting age was between 20 and 50, these people that Joshua had chose out to go and fight was between 20 and 50. And I got to thinking on that, and I thought, you know, most of our fighters, most of the ones that are still fighting in the churches today are 80, or 80, or older, or 70. We need some young men. We need some young women. We need some middle-aged, some 30s, some 40s, some 50s, people to step up and start fighting. When they die, who's going to be left to fight? If the fighting age is between 20 and 50, there's things that I can do that Bill can't do no more. That's just the, the fact of life. That's just how life is. There's things that he can't do, but there's things he can do that I can't do. And that's why we need each other. We need some people that will step up and fight. We need some young people that will step up and fight. Stop sitting on the sidelines and waiting on somebody else to do it. There's jobs and things to be done. There's things to be done in the church and there's things to be done out in the world. There's things that we've got to do. Step up and fight. Butch needs people to go with him to the jail. Step up and fight. The Lord's still calling people to preach. Step up and fight. There's lost people all around us in our communities that thinks that we're just hate. As Sammy said, as, as the, the girl told Sammy, they think it is just about hate. It ain't about hate. It's about love. But we're not fighting. We've got to fight. They're going to hell every day. People that's been raised in church are dying and going to hell every day because they think nobody loves them. Because we've not stepped up and fought. You think just because you're 20, boys, y'all are fighting age. Y'all might not be 20 yet, but you're fighting age. You're old enough to fight. And if you ain't fighting for him, you're fighting against him. Fight for the Lord. Step up and fight. You get tired yet? <laughs> but we need some fighting men. And we need some fighting women. We need somebody to go and fight. The enemy is after our people. The enemy is after our community. I've said it over and over, but our community... Thinks that the, the church thinks that they're better than them and that we don't care nothing about them. And the way that the church acts is like that we don't. The majority of the churches, the church as a whole, acts like we could care less about the community. Acts like we could care less about the lost man. That's the truth. We need to fight. I've got something to fight for. We need some men to fight. So Joshua did as Moses said, verse 10, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill and it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So it don't tell us in the Bible that he had the rod of God in his hand. But most likely he had the rod of God. Every other miracle that had been performed through Moses, he had the rod of God. And the rod of God represented the power of God. And whether or not he had the rod of God in his hand or not, by uplifting his hands, represented reverence and honor to the Lord. Represented that his faith and his power and the power for them to defeat the enemy was coming from God. And holding up your hands is a position of praise. It's a position of praise and worship and worshiping the Lord. Saying that I'm praising the Lord. And here, as we see, if the rod of God is the power of God, and he's holding up the power of God, He's holding up the rod of God. He's uplifting the power of God. He's saying that God is the reason that we're winning. God is the reason that the enemy hasn't overtaken us. God is the reason that the thief hasn't come and destroyed everything good about us. God and the power of God is the reason that we're going to win the battle. And if we're going to fight against the enemy and we're ever going to win, we're going to have to go back to uplifting the power of God. We're going to have to get back to giving credit where credit's due. Bill Sperling is not the reason this church is what it is. I believe he's been a Moses.
Jesus. And I believe that he's been faithful, but it takes a church uplifting the power of God. It takes the power of God being in a church in order for the church to have power. In order for the church to win. In order for a lost soul to come to salvation. In order for somebody to be set free. It's going to take the power of God. And if we're going to win the battle, we're going to have to go back to praising. We're going to have to go back to uplifting the power of God. We're going to have to tell somebody about what God's done and what God can do. God changed my life. I was a drug addict bound for hell and He saved my soul and it's changed my life totally. Changed my life totally. Called me to preach. Put me up here in front of y'all. Give me power to say what I'm saying today. It's just the power of God. Anybody that's ever escaped hell, it's just the power of God. It's just by uplifting the power of God. Uplift Him. Uplift His name. I don't know if I got it marked or not. We're going to read it. John 12, 32. We've all heard this. And if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. If we want to win the battle, uplift him. If we want to see a lost soul saved this morning, uplift him. He said he rode in on the wings of the praises of his people. Praise him. Uplift him. Worship him. That's what we've come for. This is the 11 o'clock worship service. We're not here for preaching. This ain't the preaching hour. This is a worship service. To worship the Lord. Whatever He would have us to do, that's what we're here to do. Uplift the name of the Lord. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. So when we stop praising God, when we stop uplifting the name of Jesus, when we stop lifting up the name of the Lord, when we stop telling people about the power of God, that's when we begin to lose. That's when we'll stop losing. It ain't just the preacher. It ain't just Moses that's supposed to hold up the power of God. It's not just the, the, the leaders and the elders in the church that's supposed to uplift the name of Jesus. It's all of us. It's everyone. The church as a whole. We need each other. We need each other so that we can hold up the power. So that we can hold up the rod of God. So that we can lift our hands up and say, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Look what God can do. Hold it up. And as soon as we stop doing that, that's when we'll start to lose. That's when we'll start to lose. That's when people stop getting saved. That's when preachers stop getting called. That's when people start to backslide. That's when the thief starts to steal them away. When we stop uplifting the Lord and uplifting the power of God. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he set their own, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So the only reason that they won the battle was because the power of God was lifted up. The rod of God was lifted up. The hands were up in praise. The only way that we'll ever win the battle is if we keep praising God. You know, there's going to come a time in our life, and and it's in bills right now, that he ain't able to uplift the Lord like he was. He's not able to praise God like he was. And all of us, there's going to come a time in our life, I don't know when it is, but something bad may happen in your life, and you just ain't capable. You just ain't capable of uplifting the Lord like like you one time did. That's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. Tristan is a young boy and this thing's plastic. But this represents the power of God. And if he had had to sit here to do this all on his own for 30, 45 minutes, he probably couldn't have done it. He probably, I couldn't have done it. My arms get jelly in 10 minutes. But he probably couldn't have done it. And there's going to come a time in our life when we're just not able to. When we're just not able to. That's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. Not just to hold up the preacher's hands, but to hold up each other. To help each other uplift the name of Jesus. The only way that Terry and Michelle, I'm sure, has got through this is because somebody was holding up her arms. Somebody was uplifting the name of the Lord and giving credit and honor and power and glory to the power of God. Because that's the only way any of us is going to win. That's the only way we're going to make it to the end. You got to live right to die right, and I want to live right to the end. And the only way that we're going to do it is to uplift Him. Don't think about your sin. Get your sin out of the way and don't focus on not sinning. When I was growing up, I did that a lot. I focused on not sinning. If you focus on not sinning, you're focusing on sin and you're going to sin. 
and you're going to fall and you're going to mess up and it'll just happen over and over again. But if you'll focus on Him, if you'll focus on uplifting Him, if you'll focus and give credit to the power of God, you'll win. You'll win the battle. Your whole life will change. Uplift the Lord. We need some people to fight. Moses and Aaron and her couldn't have been down in the valley fighting. We give the credit to Moses and Aaron and her for, the, for them uplifting the rod of God, uplifting the hands and the power of God being there. But without the ones that was down in the valley fighting, who would have won the battle? So we also need, we need Moses, we need Aaron, we need her, we need people that's uplifting the name of Jesus. But we also need people fighting. It takes all of us. It's not just one, it's not just two or three or the deacons or the preacher, it's everybody. It takes everybody. Listen, if you're thinking about quitting and throwing in the towel, I need you. If nobody else does, I need you. Don't quit. Don't give up. There's nothing out there. Amalek's out there. The enemy's out there. The thief is coming to destroy your life and to destroy everything about you. If you're thinking about taking a break or slowing down, don't. Don't because he's going to attack you. There is no time to take a break. I know growing up, and me, me too, I've done it, but growing up, mom and dad done a whole lot in the church. And therefore, 10 years ago, I heard them say a lot, boy, we just like to slow down a little because everybody expects us to do everything. I've been there myself. I know exactly what that's like. But there's no time to quit because as soon as you quit, that's when the enemy's going to attack. Just keep pushing forward. Keep fighting. We need people to fight. We need some young men and some young women to get out on the battlefield and fight. The Lord, uh, Jeffrey read in class this morning, but the Lord will give you the words to say. He'll give you in a time of need. He'll be there. He'll do it all for you. We've just got to uplift His name everywhere we go. We need each other. Don't quit. Don't quit. We need some people to pray. I need some prayers. Papa needs some prayers. Some of these old time prayers that he's preached about for years are dying off and leaving. And I'm a sorry prayer. I'll just be honest with you. I'm a sorry prayer. I try, but I'm not a good prayer. But we need some prayers. We need each other. We need each other. If we're going to win the battle, it takes everybody. The only reason the Israelites won the battle was because of Aaron and because of her and because of um, Moses and because the people that was down there fighting was fighting against the enemy. It took them all. And I'd say them that was at a fighting age was probably off to the side praying somewhere. It takes everybody. It takes us all. We need each other. Real quick. Ephesians 4. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. Listen here. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So Jesus is the head and we're the body. And we're the body fitly joined together. If you don't think I need you, you may be the finger. You may be the pointer finger. You try to pick something up without a pointer finger. Try to pick something up with just your thumb. You can't do it. We're the body fitly joined together and we need each other. And we need each other to be faithful. We need each other to be right. And we need each other to be on fire for God and uplifting His name. I need you. If you're thinking about quitting, please don't quit. Please don't quit. I need you. You're part of the body. If you've been born again, you're part of the body of Christ. And we all need you. We all need each other. Every one of us. Amen. Are you tired? I guarantee it. <laughs> if you're getting tired, lean on somebody. That's right. If you're getting tired... Ask somebody to come help you pray this morning. I'm sure he's tired. He's been sitting there for a long time. But they've helped him hold up his arms. That's why we need each other. You can't do it by yourself. There's no way you can do it by yourself. There's no way he could have sat here this whole service and held this rod up right by himself. And there's no way that you can stay right with God and stay on fire for God and win souls for the Lord by yourself. You can't do it. If you try to do it by yourself, you're going to be out. You will be out. There's no doubt. God set us up as the body, fitly joined together. Each part has a part. And you matter to the church. And you matter to me. And you matter to the Lord. Stay in here. Stay together. We need each other. Amen. Let's all stand. You good? <laughs> you killed?
Amen. This morning, if you've been thinking about quitting, come pray. Come get it on the altar. Don't quit. There's no time to quit. The enemy wants to destroy.